0: my name on the back of my bed believe there's a god to save me from hell and dirt roads are made for country boys like me they took her baby don't believe in politically correct she had her baby if you want a piece of me cps tracker better have a set a rifle and a four-wheel drive is all i need okay let's
1: get me a rhythm
0: January. Nelson's gonna let him blade today. He's going into shock. And it's good for you. Take your Taramax today. President Business enveloped by a cloud of drones descending from the sky <laughs> that's the most disorganized i would never
2: let my kids read chronicle this
0: and i'll say right to the camera stop it you
3: want to do this right now i write to the propaganda for the right wing you are fake news and i smoke in the weed. you're gonna get this taramax out we're going
4: to live a clean life! Yes, i go to uh, um, a dissociative state because...
3: You're tuned in to Hate Radio, broadcasting all across the galaxy. Break out the terror, Max, and put your kids to sleep. Here's your host, Hate Sec. Hello and welcome to a somber new episode of Hate Radio. I'm Hate HateSec, and uh, as usual, every night is brought to you by Lebel Fucking Droker. Uh, except for tonight... It's a, well, it's, every night is brought to you by Lebel Droker Incorporated. Let's just be clear. Never is this show not sponsored and, and produced and paid for and uh, bouncing us in their lap, Lebel Droker Incorporated. But tonight, the reason for the show, the, the main event, is that David Columbia has died. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, it's because, you know, you're not one of the six people who's here right now. And you loved David Columbia. So for the next, I guess, hour or so, I'm going to be talking about David and promoting the many wonderful products from Lebel Droker Incorporated. But it's mostly me kissing David's ass. And I'll try to keep it somewhat clean, I guess. Just considering there's going to be a lot of other people listening to this. David was my professor at vcu in richmond virginia and he was my friend he was one of my best friends that i ever had for all the guy did for me starting with he changed the way that i saw myself Uh, he accepted me and he praised my work and he elevated my expectations of myself and what is possible through my writing David was a giant in the digital humanities, and um, he was bigger than I ever knew. I just knew him as this crazy online guy. But 99% of people who knew David knew him through his books about cryptocurrency, warning people of the alt-right fascist implications of these cyber-utopian... Ideas in these little creepy econ societies that would inevitably spring up. He was suspicious of the internet as this liberating thing that was going to democratize through the internet. David's contention was that the internet, yes, there's going to be those spaces where all voices can be heard, but his contention was that it's really going to industrialize the uh, the power of of voices where, you know, profit is at the center of it, and it's going to continue to marginalize already the kind of groups that Power doesn't want to hear from. So I knew David as just a fraction of that attitude, because Kilgore, um, who is not with us tonight, it's, it's a solo episode. Kilgore, I think, is at a wedding. Our mutual friend, Joey. Is getting married. Somebody's getting married this weekend. And I, I think it might be Joey. I'm very happy for him, Joey. If you hear this, I love you. And I hope you guys are having a good time tonight. But uh, Kilgore turned me on to David Columbia. And um, it's funny <laughs> that once I start talking, the viewers drop. <laughs> like, what were you here for? The intro? Because Kil- I, I don't really remember why. I think that Kilgore and I were kind of getting tired of our audience. We were just kind of shooting the shit and like what is this? What are we about? And Kilgore just organically brought up David Columbia, uh, that, that he was this different kind of writer in our circles. And you really didn't see David's type of voice in our circles. It goes back to the marginalization of voices that power don't want to hear from. We sure heard from a lot of these libertarian fucking anonymous with the capital a assholes. They were everywhere. You can't turn around without tripping over one of those fuckers. And when I try to talk to people now, and I'm, and I'm in with the funny people, and I'm trying to have a good time with my silly friends, one of these fucking tryhards will come up and just stink up the room, and it's like, I'm sorry, they followed me here. I know we were just joking around and riffing and going back and forth, and these motherfuckers followed me here. And I find myself so constantly apologizing for the people who follow me, and the other day I had to apologize for Weave. Uh, to small cat of all people, I had to go to small cat, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm sorry for this fucking shit that just showed up." I said, "Don't acknowledge that person," and I had to basically give her a work cited of uh, what the fuck is wrong with my followers. Just a little crash course on the fucking toxic pieces of shit that come out of this circle that David and I shared over here in the corner of my chat room. <laughs> Holy shit! I, I'm being offered the choice to allow or deny a comment peddling some kind of crypto horse shit. I, I think I'm just going to ignore that. Uh, glitter lick is... Is that how lick is pronounced, by the way? L-I-C-H? Is it like, uh, lick my asshole? Glitter... Alright. I, I can't be getting too distracted. And I'm also being filthy. I'm already forgetting my, uh, my commitment to keeping it clean. What the hell is that word? Oh, look, I'm going to stop reading the chat in just a minute. Uh But what is this word? Nigral support? Nigral support? Lich? They're saying lich. It's like leech. They're saying the same person said leech and lich. Look, this has been my problem my whole life. This is what happens, like when you don't talk to enough people and and you just read all the time. You you know all the words. But you don't know how they're supposed to sound. I introduced this lady in college one time as being from Trinidad and Tobago. I know how it's pronounced. It's fucking Tobago. I said Tobago just because my brain won't fucking let me be normal. It's like, hey, just even though you're standing in front of a room full of people, try it this way. See how that sounds coming out of your stupid mouth. And as I'm saying it, I'm like, no, Tobago, no. You dumb motherfucker. Have some awareness, why don't you? You know? But um, that's always been a theme with me, is I will just, I, I'm more determined to hear what something sounds like coming out of my mouth than, than I am to, like, consider what it might mean to other people. <laughs> like, wh- what's with the non sequiturs there, asshole? Oh, I just, I just wanted to abuse this channel that we had open between us and, and say something that fucking sounds goofy for me. I did that for me, and I'm sorry that it stalled the conversation. Good lord. I can't be... I can't be reading the chat, all right? This is Hate Radio. Again, as always, brought to you by Lebel Fucking Droker Incorporated. And I'm sorry for swearing. It's just how passionate I am about our publisher. Uh, Raleigh C- uh, Raleigh T. Sakers is in charge of the company. He's a dead hobo, and the website is registered to him. He is a leech. L- spelled L-I-C-H. And, um... It doesn't matter that he's dead. He continues to operate the business very successfully, I might add. And it's the kind of thing that really David really wouldn't have liked. But be that as it may, it's a ruthless corporation, and they keep us going. They poison the water supply. They suppress debate online. And they are very, very, very happy with how Elon Musk is running things over there at X. David and I were aware of each other's work well ahead of meeting. And also, as I'm talking to people, I realize this guy reached so many people that everybody that I've talked to or who has reached out to me about David, nobody met him in person that I've talked to. I mean, a lot of people obviously met him in person. He was from Harvard, went to uh, VCU to teach, and that's uh, just how I got to meet him because I went to VCU, uh, and Kilgore suggested that I try to get in one of his classes. And I'll talk... A little bit more about that after the break, because it's a fun story. It's one of my favorite David stories, and um, we would later become close friends. But furthermore, David was one of the few what I consider leftist intellectual type of readers that we had who was not one of those libertarian assholes that somehow knew us from Anonymous with a capital A. Like, you write enough about those guys, some of them start to think they're your friends, and they just get involved. You know what I'm saying? There's just those kind of people. And um, he was one of the few that just that didn't fit that bill, that was outside of it, recognized what was good about our work. He could overlook our audience, which was just very dumb and loud and ignorant. And, you know, we were fucking zero years old running a website. So we were just going to like say a lot of the stuff that we had heard rather than really thinking for ourselves. But it was those rare moments where we were really hitting our stride, you know, and doing original stuff. And David was, like, a close enough reader to where when we did that, like, he he recognized it. And, and Billy recognized his shit. And you're starting to get a picture of, like, how um, how I came to know David Columbia. But uh, he could see past our irony-soaked horse shit and into the heart of that truth that we wanted to convey when we wanted something, even if we weren't always good at it the uh, The point of that is that maybe I would have continued writing the kind of trips that those people ate up, and I might have never really grown or questioned it because hey, that's readership, you know I'm four years old, those are clicks, it's advertising, I might not like them, but that's money in the bank, and I you can kind of see how like not Alex Jones as an example but like, say that you didn't really know what you were talking about, but you had his audience. That was us. And um, I think that that's because they were too dumb to realize that what we were writing was satire. But still, you don't question it. You're just like, that's great. That's, I can buy weed. I can text uh, textbooks for school. I can pay the rent. I can uh, buy a Taiwanese prostitute online. You don't question those early points of validation. And I, I am already ruining the, the David show. God damn. Who's going to listen to this and think, well, what a tribute to David. The Taiwanese whore thing really highlighted David's character. Uh, because you, you, you just don't question that shit. It's these early points of validation when it's the first and the only taste of it that you get. Uh, so you can really see like how um, like these white power groups or gangs or, or whoever, how they, they bring people in because uh, if, if you're a young man becoming an adult and you get no validation anywhere except from these fucking assholes it's like all right those are my people that's all i have and so like the people you go to the barbecue with yeah they're anti-semitic but they take you in and so like you start to get those views and i was talking about this today with my with my friend about uh like where do these fucking nazis get the confidence to just like go out and be at Florida at Disney World or in Georgia and they're just out in like making threats on Rosh Hashanah and, and whatever the fuck <laughs> you know um, and it's because like they barbecue around these ideas like this is this is their I mean this is their excuse for a culture anyway but when David paid attention to my work it showed me that there is an audience that is not just above boilerplate anonymous type assholes who might share a single brain cell which is what I've been talking about but people at his level of thinking who approve my brand of fucking around and being subversive and so he sort of more than an example he he was like this beacon like hey hey, you can take your train of thought up here you know to this like foggy lit area and, and maybe you could do something a little bit more with your satire maybe something a little bit more fulfilling because that irony was wearing thin, folks. These topics wear thin. And I, you got to have no imagination to just keep reading the same shit and it makes you happy. Same for writing. Eventually, you have to reach deeper and figure out what it is that you're all about. Or else, I guess, just be comfortable in your nihilism. I know a lot of people like that. So David found me at that critical point, And he showed me that there's a higher level. And how to put your first foot up on that curb and, like, start, you know, going to something bigger and better, a new horizon or whatever. That's given him a lot of credit because I did so much of that work on my own. But his recognition was a force of nature. That's why I said in my tweet that David Columbia was an institution unto himself. His opinion of me mattered so much more than the grades and that the fucking other professors liked me, I did not give a shit. Because here was this actual person. David was proof that like, hey, there's human beings in academia that are not just these narcissistic, power-tripping, ladder-climbing fuckers that, that want to uh, only come up by putting other people down and they're, they're, all their success is predicated on somebody better than them just not getting noticed. Like, David was this real person that had... Established himself in that world, and so everybody knew him as an author and shit. But I saw him as this, as this real guy confronting this, uh, like really alien and sinister and, and profit motivated bullshit that I called a university. Um, and I, you know, I I was one of these kids that like found himself aspiring to a degree, having no idea why, except that uh, it's supposed to do something good for you, and 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 really just doing it because like I needed that to uh, advance in journalism or, or whatever, or just fulfill some personal goal. But beyond that, what? So David was this person with convictions and like fight the power kind of attitudes. And he had established himself in there. And I was like, yes, that's right. Like you can stand for something here and, and also have a place in that. And, and people were threatened by that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in, in, just a minute too um we're gonna uh read we're gonna try and like keep it keep it a little light you know we got some jokes we got headlines and um and and we'll come back to David in just a second after the break oh but I could also talk about shit like uh I'm really happy with the work I've been doing again this goes back to David Columbia ever since I met that guy I have well it's not safe to say I did some really creepy shit after college but (laughs) <laughs> For, but I had to escape, right? So uh, I don't do anything that is not congruent with my values. That's how come I do these weird jobs sometimes. I would rather unload a truck than, um, than, than do something I don't believe in, especially after you see like, how capitalism ruins lives. Like You don't want to participate in that in some awful way. Like That's where the money is. But I would just rather not make as much money and I don't, by the way. I make so little money that I had to buy a smaller wallet and do something I believe in. So, like, right now I've been supporting DOE, uh, the Department of Education in New York, and that's been really interesting because, the, like, if you watch the news, you see those, uh, those reports about asylum seekers, people escaping either uh, the, the Venezuelan economic collapse or uh, war in Russia. A lot of the Russians are, they seem to be of, like, Asian descent or Mongolian these people that are escaping these conditions, like the women and children get put up at the Roosevelt, the men go to the shelters, things are starting to fill up because it's this huge influx of migrants. And so I'm supporting one of the locations that was set up. It's uh, I, sh- I, I can't talk too much about like what it's called and shit, but basically we are getting these these children that are escaping these conditions into the school system. And, you know, this, the schools are, are full up, so a lot of times they have to do 30 minutes on a train or something in kindergarten. But uh, at least there's a school there for them, you know? So I've, I've been helping them with the the tech side of it and keeping the computers running, keeping the printers going. Um, and I work with these. I don't want to say these, because most of the people I, I work with are great. But I work with this one guy, and... Um, okay, there's a couple. There's, there's one guy that, like... I can talk about later when I when I leave this job, and he, he might not cut my throat. But uh, there's this there's this guy that sits in front of me, and he handles a lot of the uh, the actual like registrations. And he has what I call Discord voice, which is probably what I sound like right now when I'm talking. It's just me projecting my shit I hate about myself onto this guy in front of me. He's right there in front of me. He's like a projector screen. He talks like that, and. He talks in this tone, and it's like, I'm always right about everything, and, and you're wrong, and if you would just be quiet and let me talk the entire time, you would see that I'm right about everything, and it's just this fucking voice that he uses, and he jabbers at them without listening for so long, and they're trying to tell him, like, no, no, our our kid, we're only here to change the schools, and uh, he's not supposed to be, you know, he's in middle school, <laughs> he's been placed in a goddamn four-year college you got you to gotta fix this. And he's like, oh. And then he just starts in again with the fucking Discord voice and starts jabbering at them again. It's like, if you are so surprised... It, I only noticed this because it happens constantly. It's like, how are you still surprised by new information? It's your whole job is to figure out, like, what's going on and respond to it and make shit happen. So what part of that is you just jabbering at these fucking people... Until they have to drill it into your head. And then you go, Yeah, now you get it. Now you fucking get it. Because because these people don't fucking listen. Okay? And David was a listener. That's the number one thing I noticed about him. Is that uh, he might have wanted to say something. And he might have had an answer for me. But... I never had to drill anything into his head and him lean back and go... "Ah!" Because David was a good listener. And he would stop what he was saying. Because I would interrupt him like the cunt that I was. I would interrupt this legendary author uh, with my bullshit. And and he would just listen. And he would respond. Even if it was this non-sequitur shit that I do where I just change the subject like a maniac. Like I just did methamphetamines before we sat down, he would go with it. He would listen to what I was saying and go with it. And I was so lucky to 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 get to know David, and I'm going to really be bouncing him on my knee here for the rest of the episode. I miss David. we got a picture of him, too. I'll, I'll put it up on the screen real quick since nobody's saying anything in the chat. Oh, I think he might already be on the screen. No, he's not. Here we go. There's David. If I could uh, adjust it a little bit and bring his mug more into frame that would be good I don't know what the fuck I'm doing all right i just took him more out of the picture using profanity desecrating the david memorial i'm here to ruin the david memorial service by reading tweets and getting distracted by a chat room just doing whatever you know just fuck it around at the david memorial <laughs> Taking it about as seriously as I ever took any of our conversations I was, I was lucky enough to be a part of. There he is. They is, stupid demon baby, fucking with my grammar on the fly. How the hell are you? It's nice to see you. Got name changer double zero in here. It's not your fault. I, I never um, have integrated the they-them grammar switch, but I, I am getting there. uh, Let's do headlines. The Ethereum blockchain, in theme with uh, David fighting the crypto here, the Ethereum blockchain is testing whole sky. That's what it's called, like a hole in the sky. Uh, The test network as a proof-of-stake model comes into focus. Whole sky? Models? Well, just for the occasion, the stream looks like this because I am right now committing every CPU core to minting a harder cock. Okay, it's a pixelated fucking stream. Because uh, if I meant a hard dick, I can really fuck that whole sky the way I'm fucking up this whole show. Oh! Russell Brand is in the news. After years of doing stand-up and talking about rape, sexual assault, and emotional abuse, Russell Brand has been accused of rape, sexual assaults, and emotional abuse. Jihad said, it's always who you most suspect. Uh, I saw where a police officer took a selfie while he was doing the Capitol riot on January 6th, and that's, that's how he got caught. It was this bald police officer wearing sunglasses. What good was that selfie? A bald cop in sunglasses. In case you don't already know what stormtrooper number 35788 looks like, here's a bald cop in sunglasses. Who's that for? Is that going on Facebook? Wow, you're bald, and, and you look sweaty in a squad car. That's, that's what police officers look like. Nice fucking sunglasses, they wrap around, they conceal your identity. You can really fuck with some people's lives that way. Good for you. Google says that much like their reputation, the Pixel watch cannot be fixed. They ask customers to throw the watch away and buy a new one. Just like they threw us away here at Internet Chronicle once they really owed us money the facebook vr set is not selling and the company has resorted to giving it away for free in order to keep mark zuckerberg's nipples nice and hard while walking around crowded auditoriums this is hate radio we got jokes we got headlines we got dead professors we just had our big 9-11 celebration who's this message for never forget planes flying into towers and you forgot that a plane crashed into the pentagon and you forgot that. Okay. You know the one I forgot? Flight 93. Like when it finally happens and we do really start forgetting, um that's going to be the first one we do forget. Flight 93, who gives a fuck about made forgettable by people who tackled a saudi arabian guy. This is stupid. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We got a message from our sponsors coming up. You're never going to guess who the sponsor is. Um, but I, I'll give you one and then I'm hanging up. Oh, we got open lines tonight. It's 917 675 4836. Give me a call and I'll suck your dirty, rotten dicks. How about that? We'll talk about David Columbia, or maybe you've lost someone in your life and you want to talk about that life is is nothing if it's not about uh, loss and cruelty and this uh, and these new levels of sadness that that the old ones don't go away the new ones just get added on like a like a reverse onion where where shit just gets awful um, from the inside out this is radio hate uh, we, we've got an angry voicemail from my grandma coming up and uh well let's listen to the angry grandma episode or no 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 we've got there's an order that I'm going to go in. So we're just going to take a short break, message from a sponsor, and we'll, and we'll come right back in. This is Radio Hate.
4: I would be passing new ordinances relating to stiff criminal penalties for anyone who held a rave. The promoter, the guy who owned the building. I would put the son of a gun in jail. I would change the law. There's no doubt about where these raves are. In the middle of the desert, arrest the promoter find a rationale unrelated to drugs keeping an unsafe for example i'm the guy who authored the crack house legislation we can use the crack house legislation to tear down these buildings so i think we better send the message out to local officials arrest the promoter the promoter i would be moving vigorously. frequently first time most young people are exposed to these drugs is in settings where there are large number of other young people kids bedroom they're using ecstasy i put you in jail I put you in jail that's the scum who should be put in jail not just the guy selling the pills the guy opens up the warehouse they're using ecstasy there's no doubt about where these rays are. In the middle of the desert. Arrest the promoter. That's the scum you can put in jail. Arrest the promoter.
0: across my desk this week. I recommend pretty much every product that comes across my desk. There's literally nothing I've said no to. I once said yes to having a little boy's legs amputated.
2: Yeah, uh, Dr. Troubadour, um, they they said he was on something and he came up to my window
3: and he put his arm through the window and he broke the glass out of my window and he cut his arm all up unlocking the front door and Dr. Troubadour came inside my house and called my grandmother's oxy dropper incorporated.
0: Oh, you mean Dr. Troubadour? Yeah, I found him passed out in a corner about trope half a block down, down be that path by the way. You can get the sludge that goes in your eyes
3: and helps you see the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Troubadour himself. Put it in your body. She's unrolling it now. <laughs> <down. laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you'll step aside. <laughs> hey, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, please step aside! You can drink the evil <laughs> sludge that you put in your eyes, it does not sting, and it feels very good. You'll <laughs>
1: take us to the future. Put your <laughs> fucking face <laughs> in it. Hey, I'll come
3: no,
2: out there and I'll dig a hole and throw your body in it right now. Alive!
3: A Lebo Joker product.
2: Lebo Joker stole their hearts and minds, and then they gave it all away or turned it into landmines. Dr. True gave his terror Max and then they turned it all away and turned it all.
3: Radio Hate is on every night as long as you are willing to uh, listen to reruns. I'm Hate Sec, and this is. <laughs> well, every time I'm speaking, it's a new episode, so it's not fair to, to call it a new episode, but this is an episode of Hate Radio, and it's on right now. And um, we're talking about David Columbia. My professor, my friend, a well-known author, and a, a real fighter against the forces of bullshit. And I, I really looked up to this guy as soon as I, I saw his work, and I was very lucky to, um, to get to hand in my work to David. Um, let's see. There was, uh, there was something that I meant to get to before the break, and I've got a voicemail from my grandma, and you guys might remember her from the grandma episode of Hate Radio. It was a grandma-friendly episode where the cuss words were bleeped out until roughly halfway through when I knew that she wouldn't be listening anymore. (laughs) Because even though I'm her grandson, she does not give a fuck to listen to the entire episode I did in her honor. And she has gone to the trouble of... she called she called us at the hate studio and uh, sometimes I use it as a home phone. <laughs> and, and so she called me here and I didn't get to it because I only leave it on when I have the show on. And uh, we're going to, we're going to hear from my grandma. She is really concerned about, uh, about my li because since I put her on the show, she's like, Hey, I wonder what this hate radio is all about. And so she went in and listened to one and, uh, and we're, <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have a little feedback about it. Here's my grandma after discovering uh, Internet Chronicle and Hate Radio.
0: James Galloway, this is your grandmother. I want to know why so much feels coming out of your mouth. You was not raised up like you were raised in a good Christian home. If you don't repent, you are going to hell. To split hell wide open. Love you so much, please repent.
3: The way, the way she says love you so much... It, <laughs> It doesn't even sound like she means it.
0: Please, please repeat the turn before it's too late because I don't want to go to heaven and you in hell. Love you.
3: She, why does she think she's going to heaven? Just because she doesn't cuss? Bitch, we are both going to hell. We're going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride her body like that torpedo at the end of uh, Dr. Strangelove on the way to hell. I, I love that she sees herself in heaven, and part of her vision for heaven is that I am burning in hell. <laughs> like, is it not your heaven, Linda? Do I have to burn in hell in, in your version of heaven? Can I not be up there with you? Because I said some cuss words. I'm down here rotting and burning and getting pine cones shoved up my piss hole by the devil in hell because I said some cuss words on hate radio. Right that was one angry voicemail. I kind of want to hear the like the second half of it where she really gets into the nitty gritty details.
0: If you so much, please repent, please,
3: please. She's begging me to repent. So, like, what if I what if I repent? And then I go back into the my bullshit.
0: Repeat the turn before it's too because I don't want to go to heaven and you inhale.
3: Love you. Now David, I heard him say some cuss words and I, I wonder if uh well look, this is as good a time as any to check in on the hell hole. We haven't done a hellhole check since two thousand twenty one. Um look we've got we've got microphones. We've got Hell mic'd up, and uh, we go live now, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hell Hole. Hey, Hell Hole! Hey, Hell Hole, can you hear us okay? Down in the down in that pit of moaning and wailing and eternal torment, how do, you, how do we... Hey, Hell Hole! Hey, how's the weather down there? Oh, it can't be that bad. <laughs> That sounded pretty bad, though. That, that sounded pretty, pretty bad. Um, well, Hell Holt, look, I, I recognize that it's almost like a biblical scale pain that, that can only be described in very thin pages and a very fat book, but good God. Is it, is it really that serious down there? Hey, hellhole, if, if time is only a construct and there's only this moment, then it stands to reason that I would probably be in hell right now down there with David Glumby who is saying the cuss words. Do you have any opinion on that, hellhole? Like, I- am I down there in, in time memoriam? Well, that doesn't sound good at all. I think I heard David in there. And you know, a conspicuous absence of my grandmother's charming southern accent. I think I think that this hellhole bit it has really gone to new heights. Just the way David was always pushing me to do with my work and my writing and my comedy. Because uh, one time I said something in front of David that was more than self-deprecating. It was... Just It was actually me just selling myself short in front of my hero, you know? And I don't want to say exactly how I did that, but I more or less said, I'm not making strides, but the people around me are. The people, you know, who are important to me in my life are... Uh, I might be in college right now getting my degrees, but, like, these people are, are getting leaps and bounds ahead of me was basically my feeling, and... um he gave me this look, and it was a look of, you're wrong, and, like, he said, like, like you know how just to keep a conversation going, you kind of say, like, yeah, yeah, what's your point? He said, yeah, like, just to move the conversation along, but I was make because I was making a larger point, but the hard look that he gave me with his eyes let me know that this intellectual giant saw me in a way that was bigger than i saw myself and it was in that moment we were standing outside of his his office door in schaefer hall that how i saw myself shifted and it was one of those moments in life where you're presented with this feeling you know your gut instinct says something up to you and it was one of those life moments where you rise to the occasion. And I mean, I say moment because that was the moment of information. But then and the weeks and months and years that followed, it would be this uh, confirmation that I'm, I'm doing all right. And that's the effect that David's warmth had on people who are... Geared to recognize it anyway. You know what I mean? People who can benefit from another person's warmth. Who are kind of programmed to receive it. I was someone who was trying. But I had no real outside enforcement. I didn't even have any white power guys. Wanting to show me how to curb stop somebody. If I would just come to their barbecue. Like actually in my world. And in my circles. It was just everybody tearing each other. To shreds. For fun. (laughs) life ruination. Um, You know, just these horrible fucking people following you around. And it was sort of a game, you know, a game with permanent life destroying consequences. But it was like, that was just the Petri dish that we came up in. And it was just this zero sum, everybody fucking trying to drag you down. (laughs) That, uh, you know, this scorched earth fucking wasteland that the internet cultivates that David was so keenly aware of. And spent his vitality trying to warn people about and in his books and in his writing and his blog posts. And, and we'll get into those. And actually, I need to get into it right now before I forget about it. I've got it printed out here. So he, he spent his work seeking out that tenderness and humanity, even, even though we're on computers and the digital landscape. Uh, and, and his art reflects that. He's got an art page. That is still online. Go to uncomputing.org and look for his. Um, I guess it's art. I can't remember where it is. the The exact address is uncomputing.org, and the art page is UI, U-U-I-I, i believe u i u u i i. Yeah. dot com. I think. Ah, fuck. I can't even remember now. You. <laughs> Jesus. I am dude, I am really blowing this, <laughs> this fucking memorial podcast. Um, but man, we really came up in a, in a fucking hellhole. But uh, there was humanity in that, you know, it, where, where you could find it. And he was well-known in the digital humanities for his writing, as well as his literal humanity in that digital hellscape. And it, when you're with somebody... Oftentimes it's easy to forget their huge background when they're sitting in the room with you. Um, They're giving you their undivided attention as an equal, and you're just two people having a conversation. Uh, Forget that he has this mountain of achievements behind him, and I was just some kid. And and David was like that. He gave you his undivided attention regardless of of what was going on and he really didn't wear his Harvard background on his sleeve or the fact that he published these books that were the, the tomes that were balancing a fucking wobbly coffee table of resistance to the digital forces that want to strip us of our humanity for profit. Like one certain sponsor of this program that I'm, I'm hesitant to name in the same sentence. But uh, meanwhile, Okay, so he was this warm dude who did not fucking need the validation and did not need to, to put anybody down and would entertain fools, which is how, you know, it's the only way we can know each other. Uh, meanwhile, down the hall from that, <laughs> we're still in Schaefer fucking building or whatever that's called. Instead of, there's, there's a, you know, if you disagreed with the, the, the skinny professor with a pixie cut down the hall, instead of rising to the challenge, or instead of rising to the occasion and seizing a teaching opportunity, like if you disagreed with her, for example, she would threaten to go back to her office, come back with her fucking PhD in a frame, just because you questioned this bullshit premise of something that she might have had to say about a Virginia Woolf novella. True story, by the way. Um, David was not that guy. David was my inside source to the world of academia. I can't access it through these people that that just, you know, w- you know what I'm talking about. He was so well-respected in the circles of hell that we shared online and in that university setting. Uh, and, and professors in other departments were scared of him. I had some conversations with the uh, the journalism school director that um, that David almost like owed somebody an apology because he criticized them wanting to bring this Google Glass shit into the classroom because Google was like basically you know like they were like Zuckerberg giving the shit away for free to anybody that would just promote the shit anywhere and you know let's put it in some uh, dipshit adjunct professor's hands and then they'll they'll be in front of the students and maybe we can send somebody out with the Google glass and they won't get punched in the face. The minute they walk into a bar that never took off. And, uh, that's their fault because they were having no trouble getting it into these professors hands. And David criticized the professors that instead of teaching a lesson, were like, Hey, I'm going to implement Google glass and call it a fucking, some kind of uh, experiment or learning opportunity or whatever the fuck. And it's really, it's a demo for a product from Google. Um, and he criticized that, and, uh, that's just what I witnessed in that moment, because I was talking to the, you know, I was also being graded by these journalism school people. He was in the English department, I got the English degree, um, and he was part of that, and then I'm in journalism school at the same time, getting a different degree. So... I got, to, I got to hear both sides of that story. And David was like, yeah, I just, I, I went after the guy on, on Twitter. I said a thing on Twitter. And I, you know, I criticized him bringing that bullshit into the classroom. <laughs> um, this is an academically debatable subject. And uh, the professors in the other departments, they were scared of him because they interpreted these critiques of they're bringing Google Glass or whatever Silicon Valley horse shit into the classroom. I remember one time in, uh, you know, Google, they were like, hey, they wouldn't have said don't be evil, right? I mean, come on. What kind of corporation puts don't be evil in their shit? And you know, then they took it out. Um, it's funny that they, that they ever included it because don't you eventually, aren't you just going to be evil? <laughs> like, why set yourself up for that? You know what's coming down the pike if you're successful. Uh, but he was just being real with them. David simply wanted to work in a place with integrity, even if that made others around him a little uncomfy and molested their fragile little egos. Does this sound familiar to when I was at the newspaper and it was like there were these huge subjects that were just off-limits because it might make one fucking asshole with a mustache uncomfortable? This is a real thing, and... uh, I I don't want to say you know, that it's not everywhere, but I mean, shit, it is all over the South. Um, And so he kind of brought this sensibility, like, hey, I want to work in a place with integrity, even, you know. And he didn't hate them as people, but he didn't give a shit if they thought he did. He said what had to be said, because that's how universities are supposed to work. This was his contention. It's supposed to be a free flow of ideas, and you protect your own feelings if you have them By defending your ideas and not hoping that nobody ever challenges them. That is something that I always looked up to and definitely shaped who I am today. He was a powerhouse, dude. I was so lucky to get to know this guy. And especially as I'm reading what everybody else is writing about him. Let's see. uh, I've got some shit already pulled up here. Oh, yeah. I have David's obituary. David Gerard can't remember what david gerard does but he's a good writer and and he's written the obituary And there's comments here nice comments david allen columbia author of the politics of bitcoin software as right-wing extremism died on september 14th 2023 of cancer he was 60 david's friend george justice announced david's death on twitter last night and here's the tweet and uh I talked to David, and David told me that... Okay, uh, no, no, I talked to George. George told me David died of cancer. He said, I'm very sorry to inform this place. Or no, I'm very sad to inform this place, which he pretty much hated, (laughs) that D. Columbia died this morning. Any of his friends can contact me for further info. The love he shared with his friends and his brilliant research and writing are his legacy. And this... Here's the kicker. He says his book, Cyber Libertarianism, will be published by You Min Press under the brilliant editorship of Nocta Ambulate. It's not a link, so I'm not going to follow it. He cared about his research, his friends, his family, including Lucky, and he shaped the way I think of books, music, art, and ideas for over 35 years. So this person knew him for a very long time and had the same takeaway as I did uh, from knowing david and, th- and there's a picture here of david and i will uh, put a picture of david up on the screen it's in that filter but it's cool if you really want to see david columbia you can find his Flickr just by googling david columbia Flickr. he he put all his vacations and stuff and and he put his family he he's got his baby pictures on his Flickr. he's got pictures of him growing up him with his mom and dad and nicole and uh he got a dog with his ex-girlfriend that we talked about over coffee and there's pictures of his whole life is in there the dog and their life together and um i keep i keep glancing at the chat and it's fucking with me but but google david columbia Flickr and find his Flickr page that's good and and check out his website on computing dot org while you're at it his last few blog posts are amazing and in 2018 we uh we mistreated one because <laughs> i was like i was excited about talking about it but the podcast sucked in 2018 yeah me and billy just barely fumbled through the conversation and um and that was it i told david i was like hey we, we did your um we talked about your article in 2018 about getting the the, the data out of um out of Facebook and what they're able to determine about your, your profile. David was doing original research like that, like using this, this particular uh, like a, a, a program that colleges agreed to, or not colleges, but the social media companies agreed to. They were like, if they request the data under this particular academic research thing, we will give the data out. And he was able to, to figure out um, just how specific of a profile that they could, that they could pin down about their users Uh, that they pinned down about him. I mean, it was on the money and David had some very specific political beliefs being this um, militant critic of, of right-wing crypto fascism that he was. And, and yet he didn't put any of that into his Facebook because he hated social media. And yet, even though he didn't interact with it on that level, they were able to make these determinations about his character based on the little bits of scraps of data that they, could gain from uh his cookies and and whatever and it was just so crazy accurate and creepy uh and and that was original research i mean he was able to demonstrate that they can build this kind of profile out of you he hated social media and so like just the way i explained it just right there was I mean, you actually got some information about what that was just now. Whereas in 2018, we completely mishandled the the whole conversation, and we were both high, and we had to whisper because I was going to wake somebody up. And um, and I was like, "Hey, David, look, look at this, look at this awful piece of shit I did." And uh, I, you know, I included your name in it, and we talked about it, and, and made it look like your followers are fucking kooks. Uh, yeah, I did that for you, man, David originally worked in financial software coming out of that that was in the 90s and that was where he really just saw like the future of tech and and how shitty and hellish it was gonna be he wasn't one of those people that was like oh i'm gonna join the the dot-com boom he was like this is really gonna like really fuck up our whole uh comfort <laughs> and change everything and uh, and and he said that he he was of the view that social media was a mistake The internet was a mistake, and computers were a mistake. (laughs) David Gerard says, I could dispute the details on any of these, but his arguments were pretty convincing. And he first discovered David through his 2016 book, The Politics of Bitcoin. David was also the first person to use attack as a college text. I wish I had the time to go in and and read about this, but this is some really dense citation here, and I'm not going to be able to parse that right now in the middle of the show i'm not steven Luckner. okay david's new book coming out cyber libertarianism david gerard is calling it his magnum opus david columbia's magnum opus cyber libertarianism years in the making the politics of bitcoin which is david's like huge success was just a section of it is is how that started so he is really i mean i'm, I'm glad that he was able to to put this out before he died it, it's, it's tragic that he died so young, he's 60 years old, but he gave us one last important piece of work that, uh, that he was like, putting off his blog for, I noticed, and that he wasn't sick. He, he was just working. I, I could tell that when he was not doing his blog, he was definitely working on something big, and it, it's coming out, Cyber Libertarianism, and he gave a talk about it. Uh, let's see, and I've got it right here. Uh, we're just going to start somewhere and just hear a few words from David himself,
5: ...around specific evocative terms like free and open, internet freedom, copyright monopolies, and more. Their concerns appear neither nationalistic nor especially populist. Their advocates sometimes embrace a far more progressive social agenda than do political libertarians. Yet on specific and critical matters, the matters about which they are most likely to have significant political impact, the cyber libertarian doctrine is not merely consistent with, but typically identical with, those points points of contact between neoliberalism and libertarianism. Democracy is the problem. Democracy is incompetent and illegitimate. Attempts to ensure equality other than via the invisible hand of the market are auto- Now,
3: this is him quoting a piece of work that I imagine he's about to eviscerate in just a minute.
5: Automatically, the same thing as Soviet-style complete social planning, a theme straight out of Hayek you know 1944. Government must stay out of the way of digital innovation. Whether that means enforcing the copyrights of legitimate creators or interfering with the disruptive innovations of the so-called sharing economy, startups like Lyft, Airbnb, and Uber, or the massive rewriting of world legal legal frameworks undertaken by Google. Um, It's worth noting that, you know, if being a little more... Detailed with Murawski, I mean, it's also about the capture of governments, right, to do, you know, you, there's a lot of anti-government rhetoric, but you actually really capture government and make it right regulations the way you want them. Um, all right, so now I'm going to go to the uh, first of the two examples that I'm going to end with. Um, So central to the development of cyber libertarianism, in addition to these manifesto documents that I talked about, um, maybe less remarked in the critical literature, though arguably more important, is the remarkable influence of the so-called cypherpunks and crypto anarchists, self-described activists who promote strong cryptography as a kind of ineliminable human right, especially via the longstanding cypherpunk mailing list that gives the movement its name. From the crypto, and it, I should say, because it's become ambiguous, um, crypto in this, in what I'm going to, the next couple paragraphs refers to cryptography or the encryption of communications, making them impenetrable to, uh, out, you know, up to surveillance of various sorts. Um, that's used to be what crypto, the, by itself, meant, but it has come to mean cryptocurrency, and um, in a kind of interesting confusion, um, that some of these people themselves have, have commented on. But anyway. Um, from the Crypto Anarchist Manifesto, which was written in the late 1980s, and its subsequent incarnation as the Cyphernomicon um, in the early 1990s, which partially takes its name from H.P. Lovecraft, um, to WikiLeaks, Bitcoin, absolute free speech, anonymity, assassination markets, and many other debates over encryption itself, the cypherpunks have, not, have been not just integral, but more often than not at the very center. Timothy May, one of the founders of the email list, is thought by many to have played a major role in the development of Bitcoin, and his writings on the need for untraceable money outside the state can be found even in the earliest versions of the group's manifestos. The list of figures prominent in digital activism from the early 1990s to today is remarkably saturated with members of the cypherpunk mailing list and self-identified crypto anarchists, and they figure even today as senior personnel in a surprisingly large number of so-called digital rights organizations. Um, and they're mostly, but not entirely, or the organizations like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, who comes up for um, one of the main lines of criticism in this book, um, who's close to the vest politics, uh, are, you make it a central cyber libertarian actor. Um, I can say more about that. <clears throat> The cypherpunks are more than happy if the wide world perceives them as politically neutral and sometimes do, do some work to make sure that happens, which they mean in much the same illegible sense that, they, that technology is said to be neutral. But one doesn't need to dig deeply to find their putative neutrality is not just tilted toward the far right. To the contrary, the cypherpunks have from the beginning been saturated in far right philosophy. The Cyphernomicon explicitly identifies that philosophy as a, quote, a form of anarcho-capitalist system, where anarcho-capitalism is the far-right philosophy associated with figures like Murray Rothbard, David Friedman, son of Milton Friedman, who was already already farther to the right than Milton, Patrick Friedman, who is David's son and even farther to the right, and Hans-Hermann Hoppe, um, all one of the most obvious sites where a version of radical libertarianism bleeds bleeds without friction into outright fascism, especially in Hoppe's work. Um, notably, all of these writings are found uh, with some frequency, and sometimes even the people themselves, especially David Friedman and Patri Freedom. Um, I just want to say
3: that, uh, that this recording is from last year. This was given in April 2022, and he's talking about uh, the the findings in his latest work cyber libertarianism this is huge this is the last thing uh david really uh it's not the last thing he said about this but this is his presentation on cyber libertarianism which is coming out very soon and it is uh, the way they're talking about it it's going to be a barn burner
5: i'm on the cypherpunks mailing list and the associated discussion groups online Unsurprisingly, the Cyphernomicon devotes much of its space to the same absolutist conception of free speech that we see more and more associated with the far right today. Perhaps somewhat less surprisingly, the fact that both the tools and the philosophy might help to enable white supremacy was well known even to the cypherpunks in their earliest incarnations. And one section of the Cyphernomicon asks, Will strong crypto help racists? May answers without hesitation affirmatively, yes, this is a consequence of having secure virtual communities. Free speech tends to work that way! Exclamation point. And that, quote, the Aryan nation can use crypto to collect and disseminate information, even into controlled nations like Germany that ban groups like the Aryan nation. So there you can see just the direct, you know, democracy does not apply here, right? We can use these tools to bypass Laws that are in place for whatever reason, and one could argue that the German law, which is quite limited in scope in its own way and effectiveness, um, but outlawing Nazism, was a justified and, you know, a good thing. Um, that May considers this a positive can hardly help but be inferred by his final statement that, quote, strong crypto will enable and empower groups who have different beliefs than the local majority and will allow them to bypass regional laws where Nazism is explicitly characterized as different beliefs than the local majority. Now
3: this is in theme with David's entire body of work, where he started me on the reading that, that explicitly states that, no, the internet is not going to have this democratizing effect because money is going to come in, power is going to move in, and the, the voice of the, ma- the majority might be there, but it's certainly not going to be fairly represented when money can marginalize those voices and, and, and put hate and division and control uh, at the center. And uh, uh, the best example of that is what you're seeing right now with Elon Musk marginalizing certain groups, validating a different group, undermining that, that system of, of checks that there was, uh, literally blue checks of it used to mean that at least there was some uh some kind of work being done to verify that what you're reading is the person and and that it has a a place in the discourse undermining that and and just you know turning the whole thing upside down for money it is is so you you can see that like there's this whole m theory that david columbia ha- has spent his life working towards that, that that shows just how money and power is, is this vortex at the center of, of what the internet would inevitably become.
5: As if this is a reasonable and common sense description. Later May writes that many of us are explicitly anti-democratic and hope to use encryption to undermine the so-called democratic governments of the world. <clears throat> um, in the manifesto, May writes, the use of encryption by evil groups such as child pornographers, terrorists, abortionists, abortion protesters, etc. Kind of remarkable, those two, the, um, is cited by those who wish to limit civilian access to crypto tools. We call these the four horsemen of the info. Uh, this word gets changed over and over again in the literature, but the inf- infopocalypse or the infocalypse. Um, the Four Horsemen of the Infopocalypse they are so often cited as the reason why ordinary citizen units of the nation state are not to have access to crypto, May writes. <clears throat> May asks, how will privacy and anonymity be attacked and what limits on the net are being proposed? In both cases, one of the responses he notes that um, they are... Like so many other computer hacker terms, they're a tool for the four horsemen, which become, in this case, drug dealers, money launderers, terrorists, and pedophiles. May's clear intent, consistent with his position as a conspiratorial anarcho-capitalist, is to suggest that these tropes will be dishonestly used as a means for the state to deprive ordinary citizen units of the privacy and anonymity that is their natural right. Of course, May feels no obligation to ground these assertions in research or even robust anecdotal observation, and the full import of his assertion is not entirely stated outright. The import is clear, though. When authorities or critics mention one of the four horsemen of the info apocalypse, they are obviously lying, and lying because they want to deprive you of your rights. All claims about them are a priori false. It is not remotely surprising. So that, that was all in the late 80s, early 90s. But it's not remotely surprising that the Four Horsemen trope occurs repeatedly in technology promotion about encryption and, and, and anonymization technology, even much more recently, often with the presumption that the existence of the trope proves that the concerns it mentions are absurd, and um, <clears throat> even among those who do not, like May, identify with the political right. So Corey Doctorow, a science fiction author and um, one of the most troubling actors in this space to me, in a response to a statement by outgoing Attorney General Eric Holder and the FBI in 2014 that it needed some kind of legal warranted access to, encrypted, to an encrypted system uh, out of a concern about a terrorist threat, Doctorow writes, the arguments then are the arguments now. Governments invoke the four horsemen of the infopocalypse software pirates, organized crime, child pornographers, and terrorists, and say that unless they can decrypt bad guys' hard drives and listen in on their conversations, law and order is a dead letter. And that's the entirety of the argument he provides for why this is false. By labeling these concerns, notably not the same ones May uses as the four horsemen, Doctorow writes as as if he has demonstrated that they are not real, Thus, the trope provides encryptionists with a rhetorical tool that makes it unnecessary to engage with the actual facts and arguments being offered. And perhaps even more perniciously, it gives weight to the conspiratorial view that democratic governments continuously lie in order to justify expansive powers that it wants. they want for reasons other than those they indicate. Put aside software piracy, a phenomenon that is largely something that only exists in the network digital age and therefore is without question a real thing, whatever its extent might be, look at some of the other major candidate four horsemen, money laundering, drug dealing, and child pornography. In each case, advocates and experts who work in these spheres, especially drug dealing and child pornography, report dramatic increases since the advent of digital technology, especially in the case of child, child abuse imagery, largely fueled by anonymized and encrypted digital technology. To take only the most most child protection advocates continue to see explosions in the creation and distribution of child sexual exploitation materials online, almost always associated with the so-called dark web, that is the Tor hidden services network, and with encrypted messaging apps like WhatsApp that EFF and others argue should be made entirely impenetrable to law enforcement. One searches in vain for serious acknowledgement from digital rights advocates that this is a real problem, let alone that it is a problem that follows naturally from the technology itself and from the way they advocate for it. To the contrary, it is standard for digital evangelists to proclaim themselves the real experts on child abuse and to dismiss the work of advocates and advocacy organizations. And there are some hearings before Congress that you simply would not believe if you saw them. Um, in which um, some very well known people who get money from Google and Facebook and other organizations like that sit you know before senators with a straight face and say, um, "These representatives of child trafficking organizations that have been around for thirty years are actually plants for the copyright lobby and who and the senators just are like what and um and nevertheless they They have some success in um, in this um, effort. Um, Even worse, because the cypherpunks have developed an entirely novel and contradictory political theory according to which the most fundamental human right is absolute opacity to government oversight. They're able to spin any concern about absolutely awful harms done to ordinary persons as inconsequential compared to the harms that would be done if governments were allowed to enforce laws. This leads ideologues like Doctor O to make grandiose and entirely counter- counterfactual statements like, quote, the police have never had the power to listen in on every conversation, to spy upon every interaction power that properly warranted governments have literally had with regard to every form of communication, especially electronic communications, including telephony, since they went into wide use. Perhaps even worse, it allows them to turn authoritative and very worrying factual statements against themselves. When Andrew Luhmann stepped down as the executive director of the Tor organization, and Tor is the software that allows you to run the dark web or that allows you to access the dark web, um, he stated that part of the reason for his resignation was, quote, ninety-five percent of what we see on the Onion and other dark net sites is just criminal activity. It varies in severity from copyright piracy to drug markets to horrendous trafficking of humans and exploitation of women and children. That is the Four Horsemen again. Clearly, Newman was, Lumen was in a position, arguably a unique position, to know what he was talking about. Nevertheless, armed with the four horsemen trope, digital rights promoters attacked Lumen, claiming that he was the one threatening to harm human rights by daring to point out what is obvious to, what, to at least some of us on the outside, and to some extent what's, what must have always been obvious to May and other cypherpunks, that the main usage for these tools, especially if they are put entirely beyond democratic oversight, is to enable the worst kinds of antisocial behavior and antisocial actors in our world, not just to be one more avenue they use, but a prime and explosive promoter of these activities. Although it is rarely done, it is hard not to connect the dots and suggest that for at least some of those promoting these tools as fundamental to human rights, they very much intend to use them for just the purposes mentioned in the Four Horsemen trope, and that they are able to use this trope to forestall any serious investigation or oversight of these activities by the authorities we think we entrust we 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 think we entrust to prevent and prosecute them uh this is the last little section uh which is chopped out of a much longer section on freedom of speech so in a 2014 document that seems quite bizarre a decade later eff chastised twitter for complying with court orders to take down content in countries where they do not have significant assets or employees Twitter, EFF claimed, was, quote, stepping down from the free speech party. EFF's legal reasoning is quite strange, but its consequences are even stranger. Twitter, in EFF's opinion, must display any content its users choose to post, everywhere, regardless of government policies. As uh, the legal scholar Marianne Franks notes, while a general orientation toward less rather than more interference with user speech may be a welcome principle in content moderation, platforms are under no obligation whatsoever to allow any specific person to use or not, use, not to use their product. This inversion of democratic principle, under which we now learn that, it is th- that the Constitution says that only digital platforms that allow unmoderated speech are legal is so absurd as to be rarely said out loud, and yet it remains the default conceptual argument that digital rights organizations claim to stand by. Perhaps an even more critical aspect of the free speech framing is that it subtly takes off the table, what should be a fundamental question. Who decides whether social media platforms like Twitter are in the first place legitimate businesses to operate, and or legal technologies that can operate without a license? Many forms of communications technology are highly regulated by democratic governments, and in fact, those with the most reach, such as television and radio, have often been most subject to regulation and licensing. And here, um, given the tremendous power of social media, it is by no means clear that it fits into any strong sense of a democratic polity, especially without regulation or licensing. First Amendment jurisprudence in the US, despite what advocates frequently say, and despite being the closest to absolute free speech protection in the world, is not in fact absolute. Its parameters include not just exceptions for private spaces, as Franks and others have noted, although in general what we call public spaces are required to allow any legal speech across the board, governments are permitted to, and frequently do, impose what are called content-neutral, and time and place restrictions on speech, even in public forums. This is so central to First Amendment jurisprudence in the U.S. that the general principle is even now considered to be solid and generally untouchable law. Um, and I, I'm just going to fill in a little bit here. Um, the argument that Twitter and Facebook make is that they have the right to set up public spaces that cannot be governed. And that's a, that's a good place
3: to uh, to end it right there. David is absolutely crushing it in this dense with material and conviction and and it at no point in his reading is it unclear where he's coming from and that is why david has so many readers many people know him as an incredible author and he was uh that's how i first discovered him too it wasn't until later and i was going back to vcu after a break that kilgore told me that david was a professor there and i should try to get into one of his classes and so uh sure enough he was uh, he was doing a 300 maybe it was a 301 uh, level class and it, it was a topics class, which I wasn't crazy about. I wanted to do, like, I really wanted to do a subject and, and get into that level of uh, analysis with him. But that was the semester I had open, and he had a topics class. So I emailed him, because it was already full, and I said, I would like an override. I know they don't do overrides for 300-level classes, but I asked him anyway. I said, I would like an override into your 300-level your class. I think it was a 307 he immediately wrote back. He said, I don't do overrides. Of course. (laughs) And, um, so I wrote back that, uh, Oh, I got the wrong page open. There we go. So I wrote back, I understand. Uh, it's just that you retweeted one of my stories the other day and I thought it would be really cool to, to get to be in one of your classes. And, and again, he immediately wrote back and he said, your hate sec and i was like holy shit what the fuck is this name recognition getting me it got me into his class the very next day he he wrote to whoever you got to write to and he got me the override into the, into his class immediately and we got into the shit we just started uh we started talking topics as you do in a topics class and um he liked that in the course of my presenting my ideas, I was sometimes funny about it. I wasn't hamming it up or anything, but I would, um, you know, <laughs> you know how I do. You guys listen to the, to the program, the, the three of you who are, the, who are here right now listen to Hate Radio. And there's really no room in academia for humor, but David, while we were walking... Once, because I would would walk him to his car after class, you know, I I fucking, I was trying to soak up everything this guy had. So like while we were walking, uh, he once told me what a pleasure it was having me in his classroom because I was hilarious, he said. And I made him laugh really hard a few times and that felt really good. And I was probably saying things in a way that resonated with him that you don't really get to hear anywhere else in any other context, except that we happen to share these two worlds simultaneously. So it felt really good to make David laugh. That was my favorite part about hanging out with him is that he was he had a good sense of humor and he would just he was it was easy to make him laugh i mean it was it was not easy because only you know so many people really know his subject matter but we did i read- I read his stuff Billy turned me on to his stuff. I knew games without play that was one of the the works that he created which examines like what like in a digital humanities perspective, what does it mean to go back in world of Warcraft after you're already a God and you're just walking through these, um, it's called games without play. And you're just walking back through these level one zones to get back to some fucking town to sell off the leather bullshit that you, uh, you've been scraping together. What does that do to the soul? What is that for at that point? If it's a game and you're not playing, you're simulating capitalism and, and you're participating in, the, in this way that you're not even getting the dollars out of it. You're just doing this fucking, uh, you're, you're doing, you're perpetuating this cycle, you know, for someone else's profit. I mean, this is my interpretation on it. This is not how he wrote it. Like I was saying, you don't get to hear that kind of conversation that we have here and that David and I had anywhere. So uh, we had to talk to each other. I felt it from him, too. Like, we needed to talk. And it was great. Um, And in that stuffy academic world, it was just, it was this, you know, it was this splash of color in an otherwise gray, fucking fluorescent light world that I got to share with him. And it was like finding an ally behind enemy lines. A little war metaphor for the army heads out there. Columbia, um, he was an irreplaceable personal (laughs) and professional reference that I now have to Uh, fine. You know, I'm not even going to put any academic references in my CV anymore. I just have to take him out of it. He was the one. I didn't need anybody else. I, David, I had David's support. I mean, that was crazy. I can't even believe I was walking around with that now that he's gone. David got me peer-reviewed. Here recently, I hadn't talked to David in a year or two. I wanted to hit another milestone before I said hello. I really loved that man, and I wanted to keep on impressing him. I used to just be looking for ways to fuck with him. Like, I would uh, I would call him old carbon credits, because <laughs> during one of our uh, class conversations, one of the topics was uh, something about carbon credits, and, you know, sure, you're offsetting it with money, but are you offsetting it with your soul, with the fucking guilt that comes from that? And uh, so I would call him old carbon credits, and I would accuse him of being one of those... <laughs> weird like econ type professors who had all their weird little justifications and rationalizations for being greedy cocks and uh david had the awareness to understand that like just how rich and textured that joke is that i was leveling it at him uh, at his expense in front of people i would call him old carbon credits and like even afterwards if i tweeted carbon credits he would like it so in the back of my mind i'm like yeah he remembers that joke that's funny that he's still liking my carbon. He was the one like on anything, any reference to carbon credits. Um, he would favorite that tweet. I think it was still called favoriting. I don't know. <sighs> I've been listening to music that I, that I was listening to when we were hanging out. Venus and furs. If you were here before the show started, we were listening to Venus and furs. That is heavier than anything Slayer ever did. We, we got, we got more headlines. I wrote all these headlines. We might as well do them. This is kind of in the, in the academic world. Um, it's, it's such bullshit. And this is something else that, that he hated about academia was that every fucking where you turn, they're just trying to make the money off the students. Like these, these publishing companies, uh, they make the professors fucking put out these books and it's like different from the last edition or whatever. So something called Z Library has been um, what the publishers call an illegal shadow library. That's a cool fucking... Kerrigan, if you're here, that's cool, right? A shadow library. She's a librarian. She's, a, she's also a shadow. Um, and it's being sued by the textbook publishers. They're, they're fine. They're overseas. Nothing's going to happen to them. A new one's going to spring up soon. Anyway, a spokesman for the illegal shadow library said, Unfortunately, that lawsuit expired, and publishers are being asked to purchase the spring 2024 edition lawsuit." It was originally believed that X had revoked the paid-for blue check mark from United Auto Workers after the group called a strike, leading many to call Elon Musk fragile and petty. Well, it finally came out that it was because UAD, uh, UAW, United Auto Workers, they forgot to re-enable it after changing their profile picture. They didn't turn their check back on. But the fact remains that Elon is still fragile and petty, Tom Petty. Uh, TikTok has been fined 345 million euros over the mishandling of children's data in Europe. Russell Brand weighed in, stating that those children agreed and handed over their data consensually. Uh, Washington's AI Summit this week saw the gathering of leadership total more than half a trillion dollars of wealth all gathered together in one room. Strategists are calling it a missed opportunity. I don't know what that means but it sounds like a, like a juicy fucking ripe little opportunity went by. The Wolf Research Group says Bitcoin's long-term price momentum is breaking, signaling the possibility we can all stop giving a fuck. This is Hate Radio. We're doing headlines. We're going we're gonna to take a, another short break, and, and when we come back, we're going we're gonna to wrap this whole thing up and put a pretty little bow on it and send David into the ground. Radio Hate is brought to you by Joker Incorporated. We're going to hear more from them. I love you guys. Thanks for being here for this memorial episode. It's really difficult to do this on my own, and it's nice just to, even though it's distracting, it's nice to have your words over there in the chat room. You guys are sweethearts, and I love you, and uh, I I promise I'm going to suck every last one of your pussies and peepees off as soon as this is over. Wow, why am I ruining the memorial with that talk? the fuck is wrong with me, dude? I'm sorry, David. David would like this, but everybody else is just going to hate it. His friends and his family. Oh, I want to hear what they said about my boy. I'm sorry. This is what I said. This is Radio Hate. When I go
6: to Baltimore, I need no god
3: my friendly gorilla radio episode of hate radio is brought to you by lebel droker palliative care taking care of old people tooth sick and old to take care of themselves are you older than dirt do your joints pop and ache every time you move your tired bones are you really old did you live a life of pure degeneracy and now you can't move around easily you didn't take care of yourself and lebel droker palliative care is here for you call lebel droker palliative care we'll pick your old ass up Lebel Droker Palliative Care, they broke the windows to get inside.
0: They came in my house and they found me. I was laying there in
3: my underwear. Lebel Droker Palliative Care has recently acquired new cranes and construction equipment to make your life easier.
0: I've been entangled with a lawsuit with Lebel Droker Palliative Care for 24 years and they still haven't paid out. Lebel Droker Palliative Care owes me money.
3: Lebel Droker Palliative Care is coming for you.
4: He's not breathing.
0: Looks like his body doesn't give out.
3: Start CPR.
0: Go through his pockets. Clean his pockets. Stand clear. Push to shock.
3: Droker Palliative Care. You'll wish you got sick sooner.
4: the game mur- shot him on the bodies
1: Song
0: I ever wrote well, sometimes I don't know where this dirty road is taking me. Sometimes I can't even see the reason why. I guess i keep a gambling, lots of booze and lots of rambling. It's easier than just a waiting around to die. One time, friends, I had a ma, I even had a paw. He beat her with a belt once cause she cried. She told him to take care of me, she headed down to Tennessee. Oh, it's easier than just a waiting around to die. Really come age, I found a girl in a Tuscaloosa bar. She cleaned me out and hit her on the slide I tried to kill the pain I bought some booze and hopped a train Seemed easier than just waiting around And a friend said he knew Where some easy money was We robbed a man and brother did we fly told her to take care of me, they drove me back to Tennessee, and it's two long years of waiting around to die. Oh, but now I'm out of prison, I got me a friend at last, he don't drink or steal or cheat or lie. Well, his name's Codeine, he's the nicest thing I've seen. And together we're going to wait around. Uh, well together we're going to wait around.
3: Me. It's say radio. I'm Hate Sack. As we go to close out the show, um we got just a few more words to say about David and uh, and and then the program will be over and you can uh, orderly stand in a single file line and everybody can file out of the building uh, as we go out on the final song um where should i where should i close it out he would let me hang out at the coffee shop with him things were falling apart with me and my girlfriend at the time and uh it, you know my friends had all moved away i was alone in this town and it was just me and david And so he would let me hang out at the coffee shop with him. And he would set his science fiction novel to the side. He'd order another espresso, and we would talk for a long time, sometimes for hours. We met often. He had a keen sense for people's energy, and he had a well of empathy. And he could, you know, he could read me well. And he really took mercy on me because I was a dumb, transparent kid, and he could have gutted me like a fish if he wanted to, and... Uh, just like so many professors did, and uh, he could have cut me off the knees, but instead David built me up with friendship, he gave me confidence, he showed me kindness, the kind of uh, warmth that you don't normally get from such a critical and incisive and militant mind Uh, and awareness about me that people could grow and change if they want to, and he could see that I was doing that in an acceptable manner. He continued after, you know, after I left town and uh, it was over. I wasn't giving him any more money, but he continued retweeting my work and supporting me, same as before I, we ever met, and that kept me going too. Uh, my own family and friends might not have been aware of my work, but David Columbia was following it, reading my stuff, liking it. I mean, he read it to the end. He would recite jokes back to me that were at the very end. And he saw to it that other people read my work and followed my shit. He was including me. In a world that is usually elitist and proud of it. They're happy to be there and they're glad you're not. It was a world that I really couldn't afford to buy my way into. He saw my worth outside of that as a writer and a thinker. And he demonstrated to me that I belonged there in that environment. Even if I didn't believe it at the time for myself. Even if I felt like an imposter. He saw that too. And, and he reassured me that I'm the real deal. And that meant a lot to me coming from him, you know. And I, I've talked to several of his other readers so far. But I've not been able to talk with anybody yet who knew him personally. So many people know him through his writing, which he earned his readers. His writing is clear, purposeful, concise. It's easy to follow. It's even easier than listening to him because it's direct. It's delivered with conviction. It's obvious where his motivations come from. He's not trying to slip any bullshit by you. Uh, He probably reached the maximum number of readers an intellectual who is fighting the forces of social media, right-wing crypto-fascists, Nazis, and so on, can really have. Because he has saturated that ratio of thinkers, I like to believe. And everybody who knows what's up in this realm, they know David Columbia already. Um, I didn't realize this so much when it was just the two of us laughing and hanging out and talking about silly internet drama Chilling every day at this dirty picnic table at a coffee shop, but that was David's generosity. That was not beneath him, and people do remark a lot about that. It's a theme with him that his kindness, and his warmth, and his generosity were his defining uh, characteristics. Even though he had this body of actual work behind him, that wasn't that wasn't everything. That was just his substance. But who he was was this warm person with humanity and kindness and humility. David maintained his warmth even while being critical and harsh and incisive. He was never divisive. But he could be downright militant. Fighting the bullshit machine despite its continuous Akira-like growth. Kaneda! It didn't really fucking deter him. It's just... He was there to identify it, call attention to it, pick it apart, and report it back the way we just heard his, his uh, talk on cyber libertarianism, which is coming out soon. Um, so get ready for that. But my memory of David is of a person standing tall, not in that smug, proud way with his chin up, but the way somebody with a backbone stands upright certain in his conviction. and I want to believe that David imparted some of that onto me, but uh, he was a wellspring of righteous conviction. and just because he died doesn't mean that, that that spring dries up. Anybody who knew him, who experienced that part of David or who grew from him or because of him, we can pay him back by carrying out whatever virtues you thought he had, or whatever goodness he gave to you, like whatever he put in you you can take his phrasing you can read his new book spread those ideas you could you could claim them as your own he's dead he's not going to give a fuck and you're doing the you know you're doing his work as it's more important to him that the work gets out david has made a greater impact on my life and the digital humanities at large than any normal man ever would especially, you know especially in that, in that world where it's constantly working against you and fighting you. He, he told me and he told his father that academia is straight-up bullshit because it's not about the ideas. It's about who's who, who's going to fuck with you, who's just worried about their career, and, oh, you've got some big ideas where you've dissected this, uh, this behemoth that is about to swallow everybody up. Oh, yeah, hey, thanks, David. Yeah, we'll get to that. But right now we got a goddamn banquet in my honor. Fuck you. He was bigger than that. And it's because those of us who knew David are going to carry out his legacy and where ordinarily my sadness might lead me simply to no longer care. My fight is to shake that off and continue as I am and and just to to carry on that, that legacy. Like whatever David did for me, he did that until he was 60 and dying of cancer. And, and David showed me that we can do that too. What this is, is Hate Radio, uh, brought to you by the Internet Chronicle, Label Joker Incorporated. You heard the many wonderful jingles and, and me- powerful messages from Dr. Troubadour himself, uh, who brought this, this wonderful uh, product to you called Terramax. That gets in the blood system, and it just completely rearranges your whole shit. It makes you more patriotic. It makes you a little bit more aware of threats uh, on the horizon, unseen or imagined. And uh, that's all. That's a special patented formula. It's hanging on a wall somewhere. You can look at it in the Internet Chronicle video game. You can get a closer look at that for yourself, and you can really poke and prod around uh, Dr. Troubadour's inner world. And it's the kind. It's that lens of of conviction and not cynicism, but it is a certainly a critical lens. That, that David Columbia gave us, that um, that you're going to read the website through it, you play the video game through it. David was a gamer. He wrote that shit about World of Warcraft. That was the milestone coming up that I wanted to kind of turn over to him. I don't give a fuck that we're going to show up in a documentary. I'm, I'm excited to, to do like a thing that, that he would enjoy and not something that's just going to be a gray slurry coming out of Netflix, uh, which he, he talked a lot about that, but we can't get into it. This is the end of the show. I, I almost don't want it to end... It it doesn't have to it doesn't have to stop here. It's just, you know, David's time here is done, but the effects of his work and David's legacy are, are gonna live on in so many in so many ways. And uh and the impact of his work is only has only just hit the water and, and the waves haven't happened yet. And so that's what we have ahead of us. I'm going to look at that book, Cyber Libertarianism, when it comes out, U Press. Search his name on Twitter, and you can read a lot of nice things that other people are saying about him. David's funeral is coming up on Tuesday in Michigan. You can Google this. I, I can't remember where it is. But uh, that's it. That, this, is, this is Radio Hate. I appreciate you guys being here with me and, and talking to me uh, in the chat room and, and being here with me through it. It means a lot, and uh, it's been it's been helpful to have you guys over there uh, keep me distracted. <laughs> Radio hate is uh, is over. Signing off, hate sec. Love you guys. Until next time.
2: Your picture is still on my wall.